Good morning. A little traffic jam there. Um, it happens. Good morning. Uh, my name is Otis Hall. I serve as the executive pastor of church and community engagement here at Autumn Ridge. I'm so glad to be with you this morning, those of you who are joining us here in the auditorium and those of you who are joining us at home. Um, before we start today's sermon, I just wanted to take a moment and thank you all for the prayers for the cards, for the food, for the thoughts about the things that have been going on with my family in the last few months and years. For you that don't know, about a month ago, I had to have emergency gallbladder surgery. Um, it was two weeks before a major event <laughs> at the church. And um, those of you that have been praying for my wife, she's been having headaches for the last two years that are unexplained. Um, she's still suffering with those, but God is good. Uh, but Going back to the event, we had an event called ARC 1-8 in the Southwest at Riverside Elementary, and we couldn't have pulled it off without all of you. We, we couldn't have done things like this and had bounce houses and kickball games and food and great conversations in a community that's often drawn out of its home in order to get to these things. We, we wouldn't have been able to show them what it's like to be part of the family of Autumn Ridge, and ultimately, we wouldn't have been able to see reactions like this. That smile, that, that smile makes it worth everything. But if I'm honest with you, those two weeks before this event, when, when I was just coming out of surgery and they had put all of these restrictions on me about not being able to lift 10 pounds and not go to work and not do the things that I know I needed to do to, to get ready to do this were just a little bit hard for me. Okay. A little bit's a bit of an exaggeration. It was a whole lot hard for me to, to get in the frame of mind where I needed to do what the doctors told me to do and not do what it was that I thought I should do in that moment. And I'm really happy with the way that it turned out, but it was, a, it was torturous to me, and, and it's, it's, it's because I have a secret. Uh, you're my family. So I'm going to let you in on what this secret is, and I need you to, to pray for me and, and trust me that I'm working on this. That secret is I'm a Texan. <laughs> it's, it's this thing, right? I mean, we, we put things like this on our street signs. And I know some of you that think about Texas, you think that this is our state motto. It's not. It's Friendship. Friendship. We, we grow up with people telling us things like, as children, we are endowed with a spirit, a mindset of no retreat and no surrender. And, and we teach our children's idioms like this, that say, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, or we're going to take that bull by the horns and we're just going to drive and get it done. But you see, those, those things, they sometimes cause problems. Um, they, they tend to cause bouts of self-reliance and independence and maybe just a little bit of state pride. Amen. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I, I, I had that in this moment. Those two weeks before we got to this event, I just wanted to push past all the things that the doctors told me to do. I wanted to move past rational behavior and just go do the things that I wanted to do the things that I needed to do, the things that I needed to carry the load to push that event over the finish line. But was what was really happening had little to do with 
me being from Texas, but it had more to do with me slipping into the natural defaults of who we are, that when you are whatever you put in that blank, you start looking around. You start looking around and wondering what people are thinking. You start looking around and wondering how things are going to get happen. And, and when you are, you start looking within. You try to figure out within yourself how I'm going to get this done, what it is that I have to do to move this forward, to have the outcome that I want. It was interesting that during those two weeks, we launched into this series, this look up series. God's really funny that way. (laughs) It's a series that was designed to teach us where our help comes from so that we're not tempted to look within or look around. And this series thesis, every time I see it, I, <laughs> I go back to these two weeks and I go back to other times. When you are, and you can fill that in with wherever you are, whatever you're feeling, anxious, depressed, sad, overwhelmed. And then we were reminded what the answer to that is as we looked at the verse that we focused on. Psalms 121 verses 1 through 2 says this. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, it's important, and we've done this almost every week, to set the context for this, because, because we talk about mountains here, and, and they aren't really talking about mountains like the Himalayas or the Adirondacks. They're really talking about rolling hills, and, and I thought that I would give you an example of what these rolling hills actually look like, and I couldn't think of a better way to show them to you than to show you hill country in Texas. <laughs> it's just a little bit of pride, folks. I'm sorry. I can't help it. Um, But really, these are sort of the hills that we're talking about. These hills that they could climb up in a day, climb up in a couple of hours, it's important for you to understand the importance behind these hills because in these hills were the places where the idols were, where the, the other gods lived. Those things, you know, that draw them away, that always seem to distract the people in this time frame away from their dependence on God. But what we should also think about, that in their history, the places that they went to meet God were also on these hills. And it's so important for us to understand that, to think about that, because we read the Bible in this really weird way. Like, we look at these moments in these people's lives, and we figure in our heads that that's the totality of how they lived. But in reality, those are just snapshots. They're just moments. They had days where they just had normal lives, where they were hungry because they didn't have enough food, or they had to go out and farm because that was their jobs. They had family members who had chronic illnesses. They had people in their lives who were depressed. They had people in their lives who were sent into slavery either by things of their own choice or things out of their control. But isn't it interesting that when we read those things, that it's really easy for us to look at them and start making accusations and judgments about how they responded to God, how they they fell into relationships with the idols in these hills, how they filled in the blank inappropriately. But if we were really honest about what they were doing in their lives, maybe they were just trying to take a little control of the outcomes that were going on in their lives. 
It wasn't about whether or not they believed in God anymore, but they do the same things that we do when we want to make what we want happen to happen. We question, though, how could they? How could they, after all the things that God had done for them, after all the ways God had brought them out, after all the things God had given them, how could they? How could they turn away from him over and over again? Maybe, maybe it's that God got blended in just a little bit with all the other gods that were in that mountain in their life. I don't know how many of you have ever been in a situation where it felt like everything was against you and you had no control over what was going on and you're being overrun by the things that you never saw coming. But if you've ever been in that place, how did you respond? Did you, did you get going because it got tough? Did you take those bulls by the horn? Did you decide how it was going to end and push your way until that happened? How did that turn out for you? Were you in control of the outcome? You see, we're not that different from them. And, and as we read the Bible, we see this over and over again in their lives, especially in the book of Judges, which is where we're going to go today. We're going to talk about one of my favorite judges. And he's one that people know very little about. He's Shamgar, the son of Anath. How many of you know his story? Here's what we know about him. Here, here's some information for you. We find Shamgar in the Bible between Ehud, the left-handed Benjamite warrior. I, I had to figure out how to get that in. It's one of my favorite things to say. If you haven't read the story of Ehud, you should go and read it, especially if you like spy movies or action movies. This one will blow your mind. But we find Shamgar between Ehud and Deborah, the wise priestess. And this is what the Bible says about Shamgar. After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. Full stop. Judges then moves on. And we don't hear any more about Shamgar until after Deborah has done what she does as a judge and brought people back into alignment with God. And she says this, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. The travelers took to the winding paths. The villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back. And these brief notes, these things about Shamgar bring to us more questions than answers. They, they actually make me start to think, like, who was this man? Who is Shamgar? How did he become a champion of Israel? How could he have slaughtered 600 Philistines, known for their military might and ruthlessness, with nothing more than a long stick with a curve on the end and a point at the front? What effect did this have on Israel? What was he thinking? How crazy do you have to be to be standing on the hill and watch a, a battalion charge up the hill at you and stand and fight? You see, these verses, they're a riddle for answers to those questions. We're dependent upon scant details and evidence that's suggestive at best. But that's what's so interesting about it. It's, 
It's those moments in our lives where we don't understand what's happening. We don't understand why it's happening. We want to understand what's going on, and then we want to control it. And in those moments in your lives, even after they pass, I bet you remember how you felt. I bet if Shamgar was here, he would remember how he felt that day when those soldiers came charging up the hill. I remember what I would have filled this blank in with those days that I was at that campsite, Camp Chrysalis, where I showed you the hills. I remember because Anna and I were at a point in our lives early in our marriage years, two and three, we were struggling. It was hard. We had both just been laid off from our jobs two months before, no income, no jobs in sight. I was still going to seminary. We had one car. We were renting cars with no jobs to drive back and forth three hours each way to class. I didn't really feel like I was being a good husband. I really felt all those feelings that you have of inadequacy and anxiety and fear and and not knowing what it is that I should be doing, except I was all the way there formulating a plan on how to fix it. I wanted to be able to honor that covenant that I made with Anna, but I had forgotten that I made a covenant not just with Anna, but also with God. But in that moment... There was no turning it over to the one who makes it all. There was Otis's plan, and his plan was that this was going to be it. There was going to be no more seminary. There was going to be no more retreats. There was going to be no more working in what God had called me into years before. There was just going to be me, go find a job, get it done, do what I had to do, move towards an outcome where my wife would have safety and security, and I could feel like the good husband that I needed to be. I was literally going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. And that's a hard place to be. It's a hard place to stand in this pulpit and tell you because oftentimes we like to paint these pictures where it's the pastor who's the hero and that's just simply not the case here. Because I would love to tell you That after I turned this behavior over to God, this desire to control outcomes, to figure out on my own all of the ways things have to go and just push to them, that I gave it to God and it was was gone. But that's simply not the case. When I fill this blank in with, with overwhelmed, I begin to slip back into that cycle of behavior. I begin to, to think about things that it, like the things that have happened over the last year, the last months, the last week, for that matter, this past weekend, where I found myself surrounded by people I care about in situations that were beyond their control, medical issues like my wife that still remain undiagnosed and are often debilitating for her, and I want an answer. I want to figure out how to make it better. I want to find the way forward, no matter what that is. I came across people who had family members that needed help but didn't want it, that had people telling them that they shouldn't care this much about who their family is or what their family needed. They just needed to push past and do what they needed to do for themselves. I came across people who were fighting mental illness, and either they wanted help or they didn't want help, but they clearly needed help, and And in my head, there was a solution, and I knew what it was. And I kept, even in that moment, as I reminded them to do that, 
as I reminded them to look up, in my head, I was formulating ways to solve the problem for them. Because, see, I had this thing playing in my head, and it's, it's really good advice, a good way to think, especially when you are dealing with chronic things. There's a, a wise pastor in this church that told me recently that the church is really good when answers are quick and definitive. We can always give it quickly to God. But when the answers are chronic and long in coming or never in coming, we struggle. And I think he's right. I think, I think for me, and in these situations, I, I get this urge to slip back into this place where the natural defaults are. Whenever I fill this blank in with overwhelmed, I begin to formulate the plan. And oftentimes in the beginning of that plan, the answer is not to look up and turn it over to God, but to forge ahead by my own power. And I think what I'm learning and what I've learned and what I'm, what I'm telling you today is this. It's what Paul says. But he, Jesus, said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness, not in your strength, not in your decision to move things forward in the way that you want to. Because when the answers aren't quick, we have to be prepared to look up. We have to be able to admit that we are weak and he is strong. Because we're carrying a weight that God never intended for us to carry by ourselves. He, he never intended for you or I, whether you are following him now or you don't know him yet, he never intended for you to carry the weight of those burdens alone. And so when I tell you it's hard, it's because the cycle of all those feelings, of all the times that this has happened in my life, of all those times when people whose names I could mention, like Anthony Scott and Heath Kirkwood, showed up in my life to be the one to pull me back. Or like my good wife who told me, God called you. We're going to finish it. Regardless of how you feel, you're going to finish it. I remember how I felt, and I bet you do too. But I wonder, I wonder this, in those moments when you're, whatever it is in that blank, whatever it is you fill it in, do you remember in those moments what you believed? After all, that word, belief, belief is a cornerstone of our faith. It, it is something that we build the entirety of our relationship with Jesus on, for if you believe, but I think the problem is we've begun to oversimplify that word. We act as if it's something that we do, like math or reading, something that we can do quickly or slowly. We believe, or we think rather, that it's like a feeling, like, like grief or happiness that, that at times just sort of is there. It's, it's not, though. It, it's, not, it's not a job that you do. It's not an emotion that you have. Belief is not an activity, but belief is a disposition. It's a disposition that in those who believe can lay latent 
and unseen, unobserved, until something comes along where your belief has to show itself, and then it arises appropriately to the issues. And, and actually, that's what we're talking about in this series. What, what, what is it? How is it that you will respond based on what it is that you really believe? This point's illustrated over and over again in the book of Judges. You see, that book is about the time between Joshua dying and the the monarchy of David and Saul. And it should have been a time of joy and peace for Israel because they had inherited this legacy from Moses and Joshua. They had the law. They had the land that they had been promised. They had... They had a promise from God that he was going to fight alongside them against all the things that came against them as long as they followed him. But in those mountains and in their lives like in our lives, that's where the idols are. Those things in the good times and the not good times that pull us away from our dependence on the one who created it all. You see, the people, they were caught, they were caught in this cycle, the cycle that repeated over and over again throughout this book and over and over again throughout the Bible. It actually has a name. It's called the Judges Cycle, and this is how it works. The people would sin. Now, let me give you the definition of that again in case you forgot. The literal definition of that word is to miss the mark. And you can do that in a number of ways. You can do that ignorantly. You can do that deliberately. You can do that even if you're not trying to. You can just miss the mark in your relationship with God. And then in the cycle, something happens that I think makes us uneasy, especially as you read this book. It's that moment where we wrestle with the God of the New Testament being the same as the God of the Old Testament, but God is God and he has not changed. He is who he is. Because over and over again in the book of Judges, it says things like God sold his people into servitude, into slavery, into a position where they were completely controlled by something more powerful for them than them. And then they decided that they couldn't take it anymore. They hit rock bottom. They hit the moment where their hurts, their habits, and their hangups just overwhelmed them to the point where they had to cry out. They had to supplicate themselves to God and cry out to him for mercy, for salvation. And just like God always does, he saved them. And in the book of Judges, he did that by sending people to them, a judge, He does the same thing for us. He sends people into our lives to pull us back. That's family, that's friends, that's community. And then this cycle repeats over and over and over again in the book of Judges. That's where Shamgar comes in. Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down the 600 Philistines with an ox goad, a long stick with a little point on the end of it. He saved Israel. Because of this. In those days, the highways were abandoned because people were always getting robbed. People were always getting attacked. There were enemies to the left, the right, the north, the south of them, always coming after them. But the villagers in Israel wouldn't fight. Why not? They wouldn't come back. Why not? They held back. 
Why would they do that? Why was this one man left to defend all of Israel in this moment? Well, it's because they're stuck in the cycle. They were afraid. They were afraid to come out, to go to their farms, to do their daily life, to live the way that God had promised them to. They forgot the promises that he made them. They gave over to filling the blank with fear, and they forgot to look up. While these passages, these short verses, leave us with a lot of questions and a lot of spaces, they give us examples of things of how we should respond when we fill in the blank with things. Like for me, in the last few weeks of being overwhelmed, there are ways that we should respond, and, and these are them. You should start where you are. Shamgar, of course, was different than all of the other judges. He's not connected to any tribe in Israel. He's actually connected by his name, son of Anath, to the gods of the people who were attacking him. Anath was actually the goddess of love and war, the sister and helpmate of Baal, the major deity of the Canaanites who were around them and attacking them. But he didn't let being an outsider stop him from getting going when the trouble came. You you should also use what you have to rescue Israel from their enemies. The Philistines, he used what he had in hand, a long stick, the point on it, that's literally for driving the cattle, the sheep, in the direction that they needed to go, to keep them focused on the direction that their master has for them to go. That's all he had was a reminding tool in order to save Israel. It's a reminder to keep your eyes on the one who created it all. He didn't run around looking for swords and axes and shields. He didn't try to go find an army. He just stood where he was. Do what you can. Okay, so what he did was miraculous, right? He, he took on 600 hardened military people and he won. When the hordes came over the ridge, he could have just done this. I'm Shamgar, son of Anath. I am not one of those people who you need. They live in the village. Please have at them. Instead, what he did was stand in the gap for people who needed someone to remind them to do this, to trust God, to look up, And I think that's what God is doing here. When when we look at this chart, I know this is not a reading test. You can't read what it says, but I kind of want to point out some things to you. In every one of these categories, there's stuff to be seen. There are who they're connected to, where they live, what tribe they came from, how long peace happened, except with Shamgar. And his categories are all empty with the exception of who he fought and his name. Because at the end of the day, this is a reminder of what it says in Psalms 121 over and over again that I need to know where my help comes from. 
It comes from the creator and maker of all things and that he would never leave you and he'll always be with you and no matter what's coming against you, he will be there. And as we've heard in the sermons in the last two weeks, Paul summarized this in such an amazing way in Romans 8.31 when he says this, what then shall we say in response to these things? And I should stop here. Because when he says these things, he means all things. He doesn't just mean those good things that are direct and you can see God in them the moment that they happen and he gives you the answer that you want. He means even those things when you feel like God is nowhere around, hadn't been with you a season, in any season, there is no answer in front of you. God is in those things. It doesn't mean he's going to do what you want him to do, but he is in the midst of all of those things. And then Paul does this amazing thing. Because if you're like me, those things, those things lead you to those things on the mountaintop where you're like, I got to figure out how to get this done because it doesn't feel like God's gonna. He provides us with another question that we should ask ourselves when we're filling in those blanks, when, when we're overwhelmed or anxious or, or whatever it is that you put in that space. He says this, when, when then shall we say, what, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us. If God is for us, who ultimately can be against us? There will be people, things, times that you feel like things are against you, and you're right, but ultimately, eternally, if God is on your side, who can be against you? Because when we're overwhelmed and feel the need to try to carry the weight, and we're Way down, and the burdens are heavy. We need to remember to ask that question because we were never meant to carry that weight alone. If God is for us, then who can be against us? For those of us that are in room and those of us that are online that follow Jesus, we have the perfect example of how this is proven. He proved it to us. We have a reminder about how much God wanted you to understand that he is for you. It's this. Not those pieces of wood that were on the top of that hill, but what happened that that is a remembrance of, that he gave his only son. Paul says it this way. He, God, who did not spare his own son, Jesus, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? All things. And then there's this in Romans 8.35, where it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardships or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And we can continue by filling that in, ending that question, however it is that you filled in that blank. And the answer is, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, Who can be against us? For those of you who are online and in this room who are hearing this and thinking, you're out of your mind. 
You've lost your mind. You're telling me that you want me in times of struggle, in times of hardship, that you want me to turn this over to an unseen God and trust that he's going to solve it for me? You're, you want me to not drive at the outcomes that I want and figure out how to do it however I have to to get to what I want? <laughs> the answer to that is yes, that's what I'm telling you. Because how often does that turn out the way that you need it to turn out? How often does it still feel hard and lonely and heavy? That God that we say is for us has an open invitation for you too. He wants to make the burden light. It is what he promises us in his word that come to me, you who are heavy burdened. Take on my yoke and it is easy, and I will make your burden light. What do we do in this moment when, when there's this space, there's this blank that's filled with so much weight? Well, what we don't want is to let something or someone determine the outcome when you are whatever is in that blank, when you are overwhelmed, when you are anxious, when you are scared, when you are alone. Don't let someone or something take control of your life. Instead, let your belief that God is for you drive you to look up to the one who controls all outcomes. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? <laughs>